Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Agora Bible Fellowship. Chris is here. It is that time to worship. So stand up, stretch out those arms, and let's worship together. from the grave the same jesus we worship today we worship today came to us with grace and in truth still with us and still on the moon the same jesus he is making us new he is making us new
shine forever. Your name is higher than the rising sun. Your name is higher than the rising sun. Your name is higher, Lord. Yeah. Praise His name. Sing it out. Praise.
Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you are worshiping with us. Uh, we are so thankful for our worship team, and thank you for joining in on that. Uh, my name is Chris again, and I have just a few quick announcements uh, before we uh, have Pastor Scott up here. Uh, the first one is, as every week goes by, we, we love seeing those prayer requests coming in. And if you have any prayer requests, please do not hesitate and text those to 97,000, 97,000. We love praying for you throughout the week. Well, as you are prayerfully considering your return back to campus, we, we have a, a couple of fun things coming up. Uh, the first one is our ABF BBQ and Camp Out is October 2nd and 3rd. Uh, it's uh, just going to be a great evening and night uh, with family fun. We, we have some cool things uh, in that plan. We have a BBQ meal. We have lawn games. We have some line dancing. I heard Pastor Scott's going to teach us some line dances that he, he knows, maybe, uh, in, in a sweet time of worship. Uh, you could bring a lawn chair and a blanket for for the evening, or if you're going to stay the night, which would be awesome, you can bring a tent uh, if you are sleeping over. If you like uh, any more info on that, you can email us at info at agorabible.org. Uh, well, it might not feel like it because it's like 190 degrees outside, but it is fall and October is upon us. And uh, we have some fun things planned for uh, at the church uh, during October. We, we're calling it October Fall of fun, and we have something fun planned every single Sunday. So I'm not going to tell you what it is because it is a surprise, but don't worry, you are going to love it. Uh, details for that will be in the bulletin and on the sign in the entryway. Another thing that's coming up for us men, we have our men's one-day retreat. It is on October 16th on Saturday at the ABF campus, and it's going to be all day. It's going to be Fun, great food, wiffle ball game, uh, games, more food and snacks and food and snacks and food and snacks. And we have Joe Basil as our speaker for the evening, and you can register for that online. That would be amazing. Well, as always, we are just so thankful for your ongoing generosity uh, to this church, and we are so appreciative of that. And just a reminder, you can pay on our app online uh, or send a check-in, and uh, we are so thankful for that. Well, without further ado, here is the man. Our pastor, Pastor Scott. Well, thanks, Chris, and thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us. Uh, as usual, excited to be together in God's Word and continuing in this series, working through the book of Jonah. We're in chapter 3. I know you're watching this on video, but it's always so much better if we're looking at God's Word together. And so if you can uh, either open an uh, app or a Bible itself would be fantastic to go through this together. As you're doing that, I want to use kind of point to my uh, beginning illustration. I always have something in this particular illustration has uh, husbands in mind. So those of you that are listening, I guess wisely they could definitely relate with this as well. Wondering when you uh, are trying to figure out your wife and what that relationship uh, looks like, one of the things you have to learn early on is if you sense in the day that your wife's kind of cold or upset or uh, angry about something, and you ask her this question, you say, is everything all right? And she responds with, I'm fine. Okay, husbands, those of you that have been married for a while, you tell me exactly what that means. Means that she's not fine. In fact, it usually means just the opposite. She's been stewing over something. And after you ask that question, you hear the words, I'm fine. What immediately starts happening in your brain? You start 
kind of rewinding and playing through the last 24 hours and thinking to yourself, you usually start, I usually start with looking at a calendar. What have I forgotten? What's the date? Did I miss something I should have? Uh, should have? Then you start moving towards uh, something that maybe you said, maybe you're too harsh. You wrestle through all the different possibilities and being married, you, be, <laughs> you, you come to understand that the possibilities are countless uh, but every once in a while, when you're considering or when you're reflecting, you land on something that you know what you've done. Something comes to mind and you're like, oh, I know that I've blown it. As somebody that's been married for 20 plus years, here's what I would advise to you. Once you know what you've done to blow it, the very best thing you can do is to own your junk, acknowledge that you've blown it, commit to not doing that again in the future, and then plead for mercy. So that's what I've learned. That's what I've got for your husbands thus far, 20 plus years in, is pleading for mercy. And you might be, Pastor Scott, where in the world are you going with it? That's our story today. Really, it's an account of the Ninevites that are confronted with their sin they know exactly upon hearing that judgment is coming. They don't have to have someone explain what it is. It comes immediately, immediately to mind. So they make the choice to, to repent of their sins, turn from their wicked ways, and go a completely different direction. I'm excited to see how this text plays out because I think it's a, a wonderful lesson actually of a lifestyle that we should be living as a follower of Jesus Christ. When we're aware of our sin, we should bring it, confess it, repent, turn from it, start heading the opposite direction. That's the appropriate response, response when confronted. Let me just pray. I'll explain more what I'm talking about. Lord Jesus, thank you for this chance to gather around your word and even the, the freedom to be able to do that online, the privilege that that is. We ask that as we explore this text that you'd have a, a nugget, a truth for us, a conviction, whatever you want to do. We uh, turn over this time now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So if you remember where we left off last week, it was about a 72-hour standoff between Jonah and God. Jonah happened to be in a pitch black stomach of a sea creature before the 72 hours, before he finally cries out to God in surrender. When he finally calls out to God, he commits to uh, responding to the situation to actually start following the Lord's direction and keeping his promises to the Lord. When he's ready to submit his life to, to the Lord, then God's like, all right, I'll, I'll send him out. So the sea creature spits him out, spits him out onto dry land. And that's really where we pick up the story here today. The question that we have is will Jonah do what he has promised? Will the dove, the son of faithful, faithfulness, actually fulfill God's calling on his life? Take a look with me, chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So again, 
freshly puked out from this sea creature, he hears directly from God himself. Notice what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I wanted to pause there because there's an important thing I wanted us to notice. The whole idea is that we should find encouragement in this verse is because it's a second time. It's a second chance. After all of Jonah's running and and going his own way, finally, he submits and God's like, all right, well, I'm gonna dust you off and get you right back at it. I love that we serve a God of second chances. I'm dependent on that. And I'm sure if you're self-aware, you're dependent on that as well. I grew up in the era of the echo sketch. I don't know if you remember that red thing that you'd have the two knobs and you'd turn it and make designs and then you'd shake it and it'd all be starting over. I was recently introduced uh, from Sayla, uh, John and Stephanie's daughter, to the newest version of this. And this is a, a little bit more techie thing. You can get this on Amazon for like 13 bucks. Super cool. This is the newer version of this. I don't know, can you see that there? You make this design and one push of the button and it's completely black again. You got a, a new canvas to start with. And you think about that for a moment. That's our God. He's constantly giving us a new canvas to begin. Every single morning, we can start our day with that second chance where we say, all right, God, Here's another day. I want to turn this over to you. What do you want to do with me today? What a gift that is. I thought it was appropriate just to pause to acknowledge and recognize that we do have a God of second chances for us to go back to. And that's exactly what Jonah leans into. He leans into this opportunity to do the thing that he had missed the first time. And notice what's asked of him. It sounds very similar to chapter one. It's saying, all right, it's time to go back to Nineveh. Time to go back. You think about how often it is that it's not necessarily new opportunities. It's us just doing what we already know we should be doing. So this gift of second chances is also one of those ideas that we have to recognize that just because we've done something in the past doesn't mean that we're that we're clear for today. Just because you used to serve the Lord doesn't mean that he doesn't have a fresh new uh, goal or challenge for you to fulfill today. We're told that he responds. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Went to Nineveh. He finally listens. The, the, the sea creature, the storms, they had done their work. And we're told that he's sent there to share the message that I will tell you. That's another good news for us. Any of us that have a a calling to share the love of Jesus Christ with someone else, it's not about us coming up with something great to say. It's about us becoming good listeners. We don't have to be an amazing speechwriter. If we're sent, he'll give us the words to speak. As a communicator regularly of God's word, it's rare that there's a week that comes past that there's not something in the message that I'm not allowed to skip. Something that I'm convicted to say to you, even last week, the message that I started the sermon with the challenge of coming back to church had been a couple of months that the Holy Spirit had been spurring and stirring in me to share that with you guys. That's why I'm prayerful that you'll each consider the questions I asked you to wrestle through. Well, Jonah 
isn't left to wonder what to say. He's going to be given the exact message that the Lord wants to communicate through him. For us, it's so often when we're wrestling through what to say, this is the starting point, his word. It's not about defining or creating new truth. It's uncovering existing truth and then sharing it with those around us. Let's see how this plays out. He's finally headed to Nineveh. It says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Interesting in this study of Jonah, this is the third time that this city of Nineveh is referred to as the great city. And this particular instant, it refers to it as an exceedingly great city. So we have to be clear what we're talking about. We're not talking about Melfort, Saskatchewan. That's where my wife is from. We're talking about the, the superpower of the world. For some reason, the, the image that comes to mind is the capital city in Hunger Games. So he's called to this city and it is massive. I was doing a, a little bit of research on that this week. The city is called the, the city of three days journey. It was 19 miles uh, wide and 60 mile, miles in circumference. The walls were 150 feet high and it was so wide at the top of the walls. So think about this, this 60 miles of wall going around this. It was so wide at the top that they had chariot races that they could have three wide racing on the tower or around the wall. Crazy to think about. It had 1,500 different, uh, different uh, guard towers. I mean, this was an intimidating city to show up to. And as I mentioned the other day in chapter one, I mean, these people were known for their violence. So as quick as we want to be to judge uh, Jonah about his hesitancy to follow God's direction here, this would be a really intimidating experience showing up there. But imagine him going a, a day's journey, most likely about six miles into the city, a day's journey in. Can you picture that scene, what people would have thought seeing Jonah coming? I'm thinking right after being in this sea creature, Jonah's not looking his best. Picture with me what that would do to somebody. I'm imagining pale skin. I'm imagining bumps and bruises and nicks. Some have suggested that the stomach acid would have not only have dyed his skin, but most likely he's missing hair, eyebrows. I mean, this is, this is a, a pretty scary looking dude walking through the city. As I said, about six miles in and probably not smelling exactly too fresh either. This isn't something that the sea would just wash off. He's smelling ripe as can be. He's showing up and we don't know for sure how much of the response to Jonah's message is because of the, the visual of the, the sight of Jonah. But either way, he would have been a sight to behold, I imagine. And he shows up and he arrives in the, in the center of the city, or approximately uh, the center of the city. And he begins with his eight-word sermon. Do you see what he says there in the text? Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
40 days. He's basically giving them a time frame as to when the city is going to come to an end. So much like Sodom and Gomorrah, there's no reason to think that God wasn't going to destroy this city. Now notice what's missing from his message there. Obviously a lot, (laughs) such as like compassion, things like that. But he's definitely missing some details. Who's overthrowing them? Notice that there's no mention of his God in his message. It's also no mention as to why they're going to be destroyed. There's no mention of what they can do to avoid being destroyed. Either way, all of these things are all bound up and we don't know for sure if Jonah is repeating exactly what the Lord told him. I imagine it was hard for him coming into his uh, enemy's camp, if you will, coming, walking down these streets, finally seeing some of the depravity, some of the brokenness for a a day's walk. It would have been hard for him to want to communicate any level of hope, but either way, he gives them this eight word sermon and we notice that it really is the same message that we still have today. You're like, well, how's it the same message that we still have today? The same message in the idea that judgment is pending. Now, in this case, the people had a specific timeline. They were told 40 days, this is going to happen. It's go- you're, you're gonna be destroyed. It's gonna be overtaken, this entire city. So they had a timeline. So it's a little different in that. They had the gift of knowing how much time they dealt with. If you think about the core of the gospel message still today, we don't exactly know how many days we have before we stand before our maker, when we'll have to give an account for our actions, where we'll acknowledge whether we've embraced or rejected Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. In this case, they hear that, and upon first reading this, this timeline, you're like, man, that sure seems pretty harsh. Couldn't God have come with a little bit more grace and compassion? If you actually stop and think about that, warning somebody about pending judgment or any pending harm is really the greatest act of love that you can have towards that person. You think about it, it's a a form of kindness to say, man, unless you deal with this, and they don't even give you an option for rescue, unless you deal with this, man, this this is pending judgment is coming upon you, and it's coming very soon, 40 days away. I was listening to Levi Lusco this uh, past week, a pastor that I respect. He was talking about an article that he read in the Washington Post. And he was talking about in the, the article, it outlined the warning system that they have put in place in the South for when they know that a hurricane is coming. And what's difficult is they've had so many different hurricanes over the years, the response of the people becomes less and less. They kind of have uh, reasoned or come to some conclusions as to why people are are hesitant to respond to these warnings. The first reason is a lot of times they don't respond because they think it's going to be a false alarm. They get quite a few of those in the South, and so they're hesitant to respond. They also, the number two reason that they don't respond, they've done some research on this, respond to the warnings of getting out, is somebody is not willing to leave their pets behind. So that's a a second most common reason for not leaving. The third one, third reason people resist is they never heard the message. 
So in this study that they've done about how to move people to action in the South, they've realized that there's kind of three, a three-prong approach. The first one is the least effective, and that's just a massive public announcement. Kind of it goes out and falls on a lot of deaf ears. That's their first phase of giving warnings in the South about coming hurricanes. If they know it's going to be really serious, the second phase what they do is they actually begin going door to door and warning people. It gets a little bit more effective, the personal connection. But here's what they found is the very most successful way of warning people and creating some kind of response. What's your guess on what that is? What they actually show up at people's doors and they hand out, maybe you're familiar with this in a morgue, they hand out what's called a toe tag. A toe tag is what you put on somebody that's deceased to identify who they are and what they died from. So literally, they do this in, in the South is showing up before a hurricane and handing these out. If you're not willing to leave, can you at least fill this out so we have some clarity about who you are and how you died? Talk about a way to get a response. The toe tag actually moves people to action. I was thinking about that as it relates to this. This is the toe tag war warning of Jonah. He's saying, he's saying, listen, you have to live in light of certain death. I'll say that again. You have to live in light of certain death. It's racing upon every single one of us, whether we realize it or not. You notice that Jonah doesn't even call them to repent. He doesn't tell them anything. It's interesting that their natural response when brought up of, of an angry God and pending judgment, a lot like a, a dealing with the spouse that I talked about earlier that's angry. The first thing you start to do is what? Start to reflect on your actions. What would I have done to make God angry? Well, obviously, they didn't have to think very hard because it was a completely depraved culture. And each one of us, every single one of us has printed on us what's called a conscience, something that tells us, gives us signals. Oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You're heading the wrong direction. So every single one of the, them had that. And so their natural response to pending judgment was repentance. What does it say that they do? They're, they're putting sackcloth on, they're fasting, they're, they're acknowledging their sin before a perfect God. Nobody had to walk them through that. Everybody, if they're honest with themselves at their core, they know that their behavior is not appropriate before a perfect God. We're told in the text that they all responded. Every single one of them, what in the world? Everybody believes and uh, repents. Basically, the Holy Spirit's doing a, a major work in this city. We're told, though, it's interesting. It doesn't say that they believed Jonah. What does it say there in the text? says that they believed God. They were saved by faith just like we still are today. We're still saved by believing in God, putting our hope in him. Look and see how this plays out. It escalates. It says the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and, and sat in ashes. 
and he issued a proclamation and published through uh, and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything let them not feed or drink water but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God let everyone turn, listen to this, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Wow, pretty crazy to think that this message has gone viral. It's made its way all the way up to the king's ear and you've got to wonder, imagine that scene, the, the people that are working in the, around the king, they're like, see him start to rise up from his throne. They're like, what is he going to do? How's he going to respond to this message? But just like the people, there's no sense of debate. There's no pushing back against God's justice. Instead, what does he do? He, he comes, he, he shows and demonstrates his humility. He puts on, he starts fasting. He puts on sackcloth. If you're aware, that's kind of like similar to what we'd have as present day burlap. So real itchy material. It showed somebody's seriousness when they're covered in ashes. He says that he gets down and sits on the ashes. So like if you picture a leftover fire and what was left of the soot, it's kind of the dirty, stinky. So he's in sackcloth. He's in ashes and he finds of the ability to communicate to all of the people in the land. He communicates something. What does he tell them? He says, man, you need to repent before God. You have to turn from your ways. And he calls all of them to fast and all of them to wear sackcloth and to, to be covered in ash, this idea of complete surrender to almighty God. Again, with the eight word sermon, they didn't have to fill in all of the blanks. God convicted and did his job. It's kind of a, a gift for us that are concerned about what to say to a friend when we're bringing up Jesus Christ. Well, in this, there's some, some comic element because what does he tell them to do? Every single man and every single beast is to be covered in sackcloth. So imagine the, the scene in that city. Really, this would have been the Las Vegas of that day. Sin City, and everywhere you looked, you know, there's a, a cow coming down the street, and it's covered in sackcloth. There's a, a cat dressed up in sackcloth. Let's be honest, some of us all uh, have dressed up our dog on one occasion. Well, this is a, a full bore, the entire group, nation group of people have turned and choosing to repent of their wickedness, of their evil ways. He didn't have to be convinced of that. He knew their ways were evil. He wasn't wondering about his actions. Here, they're put on sackcloth. They believed in God. And here's the thing I want us to understand is first we're told that they believed God. And then there's the immediate response that their belief is then demonstrated in their actions. That's an important thing for us to understand, that a changed heart is actually on display. It should be seen by those around us. 
we're under this uh, delusion in the West. I was listening to uh, Tim Mackey, who's a pastor I'd mentioned in uh, the first uh, message in this series. He was talking about the way that in the West, we end up turning it into belief into a, a checkbox, but we're completely okay with no evidence at all of a changed life. Here, the belief that's responded to, the belief that God chooses to, to rescue or show grace to is a belief that's demonstrated in one's actions. Just like in the book of James, we're told without works, faith is dead. It's the demonstration. It's really interesting because this king has no idea if any of this is gonna work. We're told, he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I think that's interesting, those words. Who knows? I don't know, but this is the part that I can do is come before him, repent, and then throw myself at his mercy. It's kind of interesting if you think about where we're at as far as the progression of the gospel as it's been exposed to us. We're no longer in the who knows period of time the period of history where they weren't sure if their actions were going to be their source of rescue. Now we're in the period of time with the gospel where it's been clearly explained to us. Romans 10, 9 tells us, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued upon belief, upon turning your life over to him. You will see rescue. We're not, not, not in the same situation as this king. We're not le left to wonder, who knows? Maybe he's going to forgive us. Maybe he's not. We're told specifically what our source of rescue can be. We'll see how this plays out, how God responds. In verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Interesting. Again, I want to point out and focus on this. It says, when God saw what they did. It doesn't say when God saw what they were thinking or what they claimed to believe. He saw the demonstration, the result of the conviction that had taken place in their life. So if you think about it, the result of faith is action and the result of action was God's rescue, God's choice. If you think about what was happening here, this was unbelievable. This was the biggest revival then and now in the history of mankind. Most, uh, most people estimate that that was about between four and six million people living in that city. All of them choosing to repent and turn from God. A massive group of, of people, probably the largest of all time. It's a much bigger miracle. A lot of times when we're telling this story, what do we tend to focus on? We focus on the big fish, right? We focus in on that. But really, this is the bigger miracle. Millions of people repenting and being rescued from pending doom. Millions of people turning. And really, it's a, 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 a death to life. It wasn't just Jonah that was brought up from the pit and brought back to life. If you think about it, it was an entire people group that were brought from death to life. 
That's really the story of any person that's come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are brought, it's, a, it's always a resurrection story. You're brought from the dead and you're brought back to life. You are, you're headed to a Christless eternity of death and Hades and you're brought back to new life and eternity with Christ. What an amazing glimpse. This is their very first encounter with the one true God. And what do they get to see? They get to see his immense mercy on display, on display. So many times we focus in on his judgment and zoom in on that and miss out that every single time, if someone will turn and come to him, what does he offer? Mercy, grace, forgiveness, second chances, third chances, 1,570th chances. We have a God that is unbelievable like that. But we also have a God, as we see here, that is just. We also have a God that will impose consequence on those who will not cling to him, those who will not call out to him. Kind of strange here because it's like to, you're, you're looking at this and you're asking, did, did God change his mind? He was, he was going to do this and then he did something completely different. What does it say that it did? It says he relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. Basically, there's no reason if they hadn't changed, there's no reason to believe he wouldn't have fully do, gone Noah on him. It wouldn't have been just the destruction, Sodom and Gomorrah, destruction of all of these people but based on their response of humbling themselves, calling out for God's mercy. And he's like, all right. He's like, here, here's my mercy. Here's my grace. Here's my forgiveness. Here's the important thing for us to understand is a lot of times people have a hard time with God, the aspect of God's character of his judgment. But if you really think about it, it's actually just a demonstration of his love. You wouldn't want a God that looks past injustice, looks past our selfish, hurtful choices. You wouldn't want him. You would call the person that looked past all that, you'd call them uh, indifferent and cold. Think about this example just for a second. If you came across your somewhere downtown LA and you are become a, a witness to a crime scene, where a group of guys are, are, are taking advantage of an old lady, taking her, her purse, beating her up. Man, what kind of person would you be to look the other way? There's something inside of us that would scream for justice. You were like, hey man, you have to, first, you have to stop them in their tracks. Second, you need to hold them accountable. And third, there needs to be some kind of consequence in those people. Otherwise, you're a miserable bystander. Otherwise, you're considered as cold and, and uncaring. The same is true with Almighty God. He can't be a witness to everything and not demand that we're held accountable, that we're stopped, that there's some kind of a consequence. We love the idea of justice except for when it's pointed towards us. Well, in this glimpse, we get a full scope of God's character because we get to see both his, his justice and his mercy. Man, I'll tell you what, when left to choose which we want to receive, my prayer and my hope is anyone that's listening to me right now would choose to embrace his mercy. 
As I've already mentioned, it comes down to simple belief, making the choice to put your trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross. You can do that even in these moments as I'm talking. You can call out to him and say, God, I deserve judgment. I've blown it. I've fallen short. And I am calling out for your mercy. And I'm looking forward to a second chance or a third chance. I'm looking forward to a fresh chance start. A clean echo sketch, if you will. That can happen even in these moments as I'm talking. For the rest of us, my hope is that this becomes, a, as I mentioned earlier, a lifestyle for the believer. When sin is brought up before us, when we're aware of it, when our conscious nu conscience nudges us, that man, we are quick, just like we do in that marriage scenario. We are quick to acknowledge where we blew it, commit to going the complete opposite direction and living differently, moving forward in God's mercy. Let me pray as I wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this powerful picture of who you are, a God that is not content stepping away and watching the injustices of this world and not participating. You're a God that will eventually bring judgment, but we have the option, as long as we have breath in our lungs, to call out for your mercy, to redirect. Every single day is another second chance to align our lives with you. I pray for us even going in the week ahead that we'd make choices, even starting our day with that type of a prayer. God, here I am. Whatever you want to do with me, I'm yours. Fresh new start. Again, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
darkness a blaze, but Jesus, no other name carries the power to save, crushes the power of the grave, but Jesus, no other hope can silence the fear. All right, church family. Well, again, thanks for being a part of this online service All as always. Any way we can serve you, man, we'd be thrilled to hear from you. Me personally, I'd love to hear from you during this week, whether it's an email, a text, a call to the church office. Any way we can serve you, be praying for you, would be thrilled to do that. God bless you. Have an amazing week.